open your Bibles this morning, if you would, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and beginning in verse 9, as we continue the sermon series that we've been in the past few weeks and months on the Gospel of Matthew, bringing the kingdom to life. And want to welcome those of you who are joining us by radio, and if you'll be joining us at the internet, we're also thankful that you're with us too. Matthew chapter 9, and beginning in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Bible describes Matthew or Levi as a tax collector. Tax collectors were considered the sellouts of the ancient world. If you could imagine during the colonial days as America was about to go through the Revolutionary War that took place, just before that, Americans were upset about something. They were upset about taxation without representation. And if you could imagine some people who considered themselves to be American colonists siding with the British at the time, usurping taxes from their fellow American citizens and then keeping some of it from themselves, it would be kind of a traitorous thing to do. Well, that's exactly what was taking place among the Jewish people in that day. The Romans were overseeing Palestine. Herod was responsible for enacting a tax upon the people and forwarding that to Rome. And he got Jewish people to take care of this work for him. And the Jewish tax collectors would often not only take money from the people, but would also keep money from themselves. And if you think about people who were living in Galilee in that day, when Jesus says to them in the Sermon on the Mount, give us this day our daily bread, he's talking to people who understand exactly what that means. Because at the end of the day, they are still searching for their bread. They don't have a whole lot left over. And on top of that extraordinary burdens of taxes are being placed on them. And so if you can imagine the scene, Matthew sitting there at the receipt of custom as a tax collector, and Jesus one day walks up to the most unpopular guy in the room and says, follow me. The Bible tells us that's exactly what Matthew did. This probably wasn't Matthew's first encounter with the Lord, similar to to Peter and to Andrew and to James and John. He had likely heard of the miracles. He had likely heard some of the things that Jesus had done and perhaps had been with him on a couple of occasions in person. But for some reason, at this point, Matthew decides to record this gospel and says this is the time in his life when he responded to that call to follow his Savior. Well, as a result of his anticipation and his thankfulness and expectation of what Jesus was doing, he decides to hold a a meal, a feast in honor of Jesus, and he invites all of his friends who likely wouldn't have been too many. And the ones who were there were the tax collectors. And I like how the Bible always groups these groups together. It calls them tax collectors 
and sinners, as if tax collectors are somehow a special class of sinners by themselves. And the men begin to look around at the people that they're sitting with, because for the Jewish people, to sit with people who were sinners was considered to be unclean and a violation of the vows they had taken before the Lord. And they look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, why are you, who claim to be a rabbi, who claim to be sent from God, eating with these tax collectors and with these sinners? And Jesus says something very remarkable to them. I want you to notice exactly what he says in verse 12. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he goes on to say, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the word mercy that Matthew uses there in recording Jesus' statement harkens back to the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word hesed. And the best translation for it is loving kindness. It's used quite a bit in the book of Ruth. When Ruth goes forward into a country that she doesn't know to be with her mother-in-law, she goes into Boaz's field, and Boaz, out of the goodness of his heart, out of the command of the Lord upon him, gives to Ruth, even though he doesn't have to, and takes her as his own. And one of the best definitions of this mercy, this hesed, this loving kindness that I found is this. Listen to it. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. The person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. See, there's a difference in how the Pharisees look at a sinner and how Jesus looks at a sinner, isn't there? A sinner in the mind of the Pharisees is someone who does not keep the law, who violates it. A sinner in the mind of Jesus is someone who is opposed to the will of God. These Pharisees, in keeping the law, are blameless. But in following Jesus as the one who who is sent by God, they are not. And Jesus responds to this, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Luke 5.32 finishes this translation for us. Sinners to repentance. See, Matthew is doing something that new believers often do, and we as older believers sometimes forget to do. He is inviting his friends to come and meet Jesus. That's what God calls us to do. Because when we experience the grace of God, surely we want that for other people, for friends and neighbors and hopefully even our enemies. Matthew does exactly what you and I are called to do. He brings these people to the Lord. And he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Does we forget that our job is to call sinners? Not to condemn sinners. Not to condone sinners. But to call sinners. And what is it that we are calling them to? But to repentance and faith. Now, there's a tension here, isn't there? As there so often is in the Word of God. Perhaps you've heard the phrase from time to time, love the sinner, hate the sin. One thing that you'll notice about Jesus here is when He calls Matthew, He doesn't judge him. But at the same time, He cares and loves enough about Matthew to not leave him where he is. He calls Matthew unto repentance and faith. Listen, the church of God ought to be the most welcoming place in the world. And how often people outside of these doors do not come in for things that we're not even aware of. But part of being welcoming is also having a willingness to speak truth in love. 
That's what Jesus does here. He doesn't leave Matthew where he was, and he doesn't say, admire me. He doesn't say, appreciate me. He doesn't say, applaud me. He says, follow me. And Luke 5 finishes up this translation for us. It says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Because to follow him is to submit to his authority. To follow him is to obey his word. I want you to think about what you could not imagine living without. Whether that is a person or a possession. Get something in your mind. Maybe a couple of things that you just could not imagine living without. And whatever that is, that's exactly what you must give up in order to follow Christ. That's what he calls us to. Matthew gives up a lucrative career here. He gives up being a tax collector, puts a lot of money on the table, just as Zacchaeus, the tax collector, will do later on. But but he realizes something, what Augustine wrote years ago, that it was now a joy to put away that which he formerly feared to lose. And what we think we have to have isn't really what we have to have. See, somewhere along the line, the church has gotten this idea that we're somehow an all-inclusive club. No expectations, no judgments. You can live how you want, you can act like you want, and God will still bless you regardless. My goodness, that sounds like the best bar in the world. It's a free all-you-can-eat buffet. It's an all-expenses-paid trip to Disneyland. Eat all the ice cream you desire and you won't gain a pound. Come would like that. She loves ice cream. And this is what the crowds want, isn't it? They want the healing, but they don't attend to the deeper needs of salvation from sin. And this healing of physical suffering is only cosmetic if a sinful heart is not given into the care of the great physician. Jesus always takes care of the soul before taking care of the body in the New Testament. Listen, we want to welcome and we want to love others, but part of welcoming and loving others is a willingness to speak truth to them, to ask them to repent. We want them to know that the church is different from the world, not better, but different. And the reason that we're different is because of the gospel that we profess. That's one of the problems in the church today. The church is trying to act like the world. The world's trying to act like the church. And when the church can't tell the difference from the world and the world can't tell the difference from the church, we got a problem. But when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. And so we're faced with a lot of challenges nowadays. The culture says to us, can't two people simply love each other regardless of their orientation? And we have to respond that from the beginning, God has ordained marriage in such a way as between a man and a woman. It's the way he establishes the continuation of society through marital procreation. And they look at us and they say, well, you're a little bit narrow, aren't you? I usually respond by saying, oh, I'm a lot more narrow than that. I believe that any sex outside of marriage, whether heterosexual or homosexual, is outside of the will of God and is sinful. And listen, we can't call out one without the other. And it's not just sex outside of marriage. It's also gluttony. It's also lying. It's also stealing. And if we're going to call one, we have to be willing to call them all. 
Scripture tells us that we're responsible for doing this. And the reason that we're responsible for doing this is because it is, in fact, unloving for us to endorse any type of lifestyle that's contrary to God's Word. How dare we stand before a righteous and holy God and say, bless my unrepentant sin. See, the truth is the most hateful thing we can possibly do is see someone in sin and leave them there. And yet that's often exactly what we do. I've used this example before, and I'm going to use it again, so some of you will think about this as you're going to Crossroads or you're going to lunch um, after Sunday school, of course, across this bridge. Um, I want you to imagine all the reinforcements that have been taking place on that bridge, all the time that you have spent sitting in traffic lights on one end or the other, ends up all being for nothing. And and heaven forbid, that bridge were to completely and utterly collapse. And you're going to think about this every time you drive over it for the next week now. Heaven forbid that takes place, and you're the first person that sees it. You see vehicles coming from behind you, whichever side you're on. Would you say to these other cars... You know, it's okay. Just keep driving like you're driving. Keep right on going. And you know what? Everything will be all right. We'll just overlook that and it'll be fine. Surely, in your right mind, you wouldn't say that. You would say, stop, turn around, which is exactly what repentance is, by the way. That's the most loving thing we can do is do what Jesus did and call people to repentance And faith, because if we don't call people to repent, we might as well start throwing out pixie dust and singing fairy tale songs because that's not a whole lot better of who we are. You say, oh, yes, it is. We want people to come to God. Oh, the world wants God, too. They just want a God made in their image and after their likeness, not a God who calls them to repent and to believe. Like what John Calvin said years ago, if we do not perceive our wretchedness and poverty, we will never know how desirable is that remedy Christ has brought to us. Listen, until you know you're guilty and can't be forgiven. A lot of times we want to call people to faith without calling them to repentance. We can't do that. We cannot in good conscience endorse or affirm sin. We have to lovingly call people to repentance and faith because all of us will stand before the Lord and we will give an account one day on whether or not we have been faithful to what God has entrusted to us. And a big part of being faithful is calling people lovingly to repentance and faith. Calling our children, calling our grandchildren, calling our parents, calling our neighbors, calling our friends, calling everyone. Brothers and sisters, that's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes the hardest person to call to repentance and faith, sometimes the hardest person to share the gospel with is someone you're close to. But what we have to decide at the end of the day is whether it is our goal to please men and women or to please God. That's what the Apostle Paul faced. He had lived a life of zealousness and persecution of the church before he knew God. And then one day on that Damascus road, God had completely turned around his life and got a hold of him. And he writes later on in Galatians that his worldview was completely changed. He says, look, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? 
If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And then he goes on to say, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he said, I went into the wilderness. I, I was there for a while receiving a revelation of the Lord. And then I went into Macedonia. And then I started going back into these churches and preaching the gospel. And they didn't know what to do with me. So much so that it was said in the region in verse 23 that they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. That was John Newton's story. Just saying amazing grace. John Newton wrote that song. He was a slave trader. Gave his life over to God, realized his wrongdoings and his own sinfulness. And on his epitaph over in England where he's buried on his gravestone, you can read these words that John Newton was Preserved, pardoned, appointed to preach the gospel he had long labored to destroy. See, there's a lot of miracles in the gospel of Matthew. But perhaps the greatest miracle is the guy who wrote the book. Here is Matthew, numbered with the tax collectors, numbered with the sinners, set apart, recording this very gospel. All of these miracles taking place, blind men seeing, lame men walking, dead being raised, and yet none surpass the greatest miracle, which is the miracle of forgiveness. To think that God Himself would forgive a wretch like me. To think that He would send His own Son to die in my place. And the punishment that I deserved was put upon Jesus Christ who did nothing wrong. And He ever lives to make intercession for us. So there's an irony in this passage, as there so often is. Here's the truth. When, when Jesus tries to separate the righteous from the sinners, the truth is we're all sinners. We're all sick We're all in need of Jesus. This isn't a museum for saints. This is a hospital for sinners. And in a hospital, you don't just treat the symptoms. You treat the disease. And the disease is sin. And the cure is repentance and faith. Ladies and gentlemen, based on the Word of God, we're going to call sin, sin. And we're going to do so regardless of what the culture tells us. But we're also going to turn around and say to sinners that Christ Jesus died on the cross. And if you will turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will experience his unending forgiveness and you will know his everlasting love. That's what the world needs today. They need to hear of this gospel. They need to hear of repentance and faith. And you and I have it. We must share it. Brothers and sisters, we must help them feel the weight of sin. And we must help them know the love of Christ. God help us. Father, it's our prayer. And as we examine
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.